Support for this podcast comes from TPT Digital, TransPerfect Specialized Division, helping brands boost their global presence and international performance. This is Off the Clock with your hosts, Shane Madden and Whit Harwood, taking a deep dive into the structural changes into the business world as a result of the global pandemic. Hi, everyone. I'm Shane. I'm Whit. And welcome to another episode of Off the Clock, where today we're joined by Tom Ovenden, social and media manager at Extreme International, to discuss how social media has changed the advertising landscape, predictions for 2021, trends, and how companies can harness these powerful platforms to reach millions of consumers worldwide. We've got plenty to get to today, so Whit, I think we should jump right in. Yeah, let's get into it. Hi, everybody. Um, my name is Shane Madden. I'm here from uh, TBT Digital. Um, I'm joined by my co-host, Wit, um, and then our special guest, Tom. So, um, Wit, over to you. Yeah, great to be here. And thanks so much to Shane and everyone at TPT Digital for hosting this and helping to pull this together. My name is Wit. Um, I'm currently team lead of the go-to-market group at Peacock, the new streaming service from NBC Universal, and as Shane alluded to, we're joined by Tom today to talk a little bit about social media and all things in that space. So, Tom, would love to hear a little bit about you and what you're doing. Yeah, thanks, guys, and obviously thanks for the invitation. Uh, really honored to be on here with you guys, and yeah, just really interested and excited to dig into some of these topics. Really, I think from my side, I'm working extreme international we've been going for just over 25 years now i'm heading up all of the social and media within the company obviously very focused towards social um but yeah kind of excited to yeah talk with you guys a little bit more and kind of get into it yeah awesome awesome now i'm going to kick off right so obviously with the 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 great dispersion as a result of of covid19 um we've seen a proliferation of both media and social media um, I've heard lots of commentators, political and otherwise, refer to social media as a monopolistic goldmine of mis- and disinformation. To the extent that, as of this week or last week, I'm sorry, the U.S. government and states, um, I think it was 48 states in the U.S. alone, uh, backed by the FTC, are, um, I guess, going after uh, Facebook, specifically for anti-competitive behavior. Um, there is a, I guess, a perception at the moment that Facebook is dark money, it's the menace for social media, it's driven rifts and division amongst uh, communities, uh, both here in the US and then further afield. And given all the movement of what's going on in social media, how it's kind of morphed into what it's become, I guess, Tom, my first question to you would be, um, where, like, where do you see this thing going? Like, where, what's the future state of this thing? And I think I'd be super interested to hear your thoughts, particularly firstly from a brand perspective, but also then from a, you know, from a your average consumer's perspective. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, where do you start with this one, really? I think what makes social media and the ecosystem around it so fascinating is it's expanding in every direction at once, it seems. And I think whilst we look at social media as a kind of blanket term, I feel like we're starting to see more intricacies and specialities within that ecosystem. I think when you're looking at this from a very general point of view, I think one thing everyone would like to see more of is just transparency and clarity within the industry. Whether that's necessarily the way it's going is another question. But yeah, I think it's fascinating. We're seeing you know, social media develop more alongside technology. We're seeing 
and technology develop alongside social media. So it's a really interesting space on the whole, but also one that's quite hard to keep your finger on the pulse of. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of movement. I, I guess, and I'm with before before you jump in. One one other quick thing on that, Tom. So, I as of December 2020, Facebook uh, acquired um, this CRM platform customer with a K for a billion dollars, I believe. And I believe the angle there is, um, so they both offer, you know, both companies offer the ability to enhance and automate um, communications. But I guess the interesting thing about that, that acquisition is uh, the idea is to help Facebook with customer service operations and then to allow Facebook to sell that proposition to brands once they get that information. So it's going to record all interactions across their, their communications tools. That on top of Facebook, obviously, and I'm, I'm, I'm mentioning Facebook here, we'll, we'll dive into others, but launching their own cryptocurrency, like that's true product proliferation and product constellation. Like that, what are your thoughts on that as someone who works with Facebook as a as a brand and how do you think you can benefit from from that as a as a brand yeah so i think facebook's interesting customer is i mean it's interesting because it's showing us some of the signs of what they're hoping to do strategically i think facebook have obviously been building a huge number of clients who are using their platform for customer service but by acquiring customer, this is allowing Facebook to essentially reach beyond its Apple platform walls and helping to ultimately control the bigger picture, kind of regardless of whether it's on Facebook or one of their competitor platforms. So I think it's interesting. It's showing a lot of plans and strategic thinking from Facebook, but then it's also showing a lot of, yeah, a lot of interest in the wider picture, not just their own platform. Mm, yeah. Whip, I have I have one for you. So as someone who runs product delivery for uh, for Peacock, which is obviously an incredibly uh, uh, well-documented success story in 2020 in terms of OTT and streaming um, services. So if we look at the market, uh, you know, the market as, as a whole, right? So I, um, Facebook represents about 80, 80, uh, 68% of market share, Twitter about 11% market share. Um, Facebook bought Instagram for a billion. I think if you were to value it now, it's probably, I don't know, 100x that. I guess my question for you, with given your experience in media, is does it make sense to put the likes of Twitter and Facebook behind a paywall? And I say that against the context of I've heard lots of different market speculators and um, advertisers refer to advertising as tax for the poor. So I'd love to. What, what, what do you think on that? Yeah, well, I want to. Uh, I'll start by going back to something that Tom just said, which I think is really interesting. Where, where, like, when you're looking at social media broadly speaking, you're really talking about it. Is it consolidated social media, which is kind of what we think of at, from the Facebook perspective, from the Twitter perspective? It's something that you know was defined for the sake of, or it was founded and defined for the sake of connecting with people and expressing opinions and. Um, I think that one of the things that, that Tom just alluded to in the Facebook um, kind of uh, just them, them going much more horizontal is layering social media and communication on top of existing products and features. Um, so one of the things, and, and I think that you're going to see that across a ton of different spaces, right? Not just against these native social apps, but you're going to see uh, different spaces start to layer on what we would consider native social features. So Tying it back to your question, you know, by putting Twitter behind a paywall, unless there's something else there other than information, 
you know, you're inherently, you're, you're decreasing the addressable market. Um, you're restricting news information, which works on some levels, but the, the promise of Twitter is that you actually have it, uh, it means something different to everyone based on their algorithm, based on who they follow. And you're essentially cutting off, in my mind, any growth prospects by doing that because it's hard to convey the value of something if someone doesn't already have it. So, the, uh, I mean, it, from a monetization standpoint, would I pay 10 bucks a month for Twitter? Yeah, probably because I'm an addict and I use it six times a day or whatever. But it, then you're basically, if Twitter were to do that without any kind of free function, um, you're basically saying, okay, we've reached our TAM and now we're trying to monetize everybody within that user base. And, you know, could that work? Sure. But I think one of the things that I look for in social media is I look for things that work on two different planes, right? It's, you know, with Twitter, it's uh, news and connection, right? With Facebook, it's connection and consumption. Um, Instagram, it's consumption and commerce. And TikTok will eventually be there as well. But once you start to see these platforms go single plane, right? Like once they just exist in one primary um uh, one primary part of the atmosphere, like, you know, one example for me, that's a little bit of a, uh, not a failed social platform, but something certainly that hasn't reached its promise is medium, right? Where you have it's long form information. It's kind of a bit of a connection uh, platform, but it's really just, it operates in one plane and therefore it's not really that successful. If Twitter were to truly look to monetize itself, they would, they would cut their addressable market. And also I, I think they would, not have the opportunity, at least as they're presently constructed, to expand and exist in multiple planes. Could they set up something like a, a pay tiered model whereby, so if you're Kim Kardashian, you pay a nominal thousand dollars a month, or if you've got more than 4 million followers, you pay 500 bucks a month. And then it's free for any user like you and me, unless, <laughs> unless you've got more than a thousand followers, but it's free. I don't for, have more than a thousand followers yet. I don't think so I've got maybe more. Maybe this podcast will get me there. Right, right, right. But do you, do you think there's, a, there's the option to develop that kind of similar to what Peacock did, which is a multi, multi-priced tiered model. So a thousand five hundred and free for less than a thousand. Because again, I think part of the problem they have is it's, it's, if advertising is now being viewed as tax for the poor, how do they turn into a subscription rundle model? So reoccurring, reoccurring revenue bundle, how do they grow their market share from 11% to where Facebook is? Is it through subscription multi-tier pricing model? Well, you would, you would also have to look at it from the revenue standpoint too, right? Because if you're charging the Kardashians a thousand bucks a month, I mean, they're certainly making much more than a thousand bucks a month on that platform. So you would also have to increase the number of monetization tools that you have for influencers. And right now, you know, candidly, the written word, and we can get into a whole different digression about, you know, uh, futures of social media, media in the sense of what medium will drive future growth. But right now, you know, if anything, the written word is actually driving polarization, right? Videos driving commerce, you know, in some ways, static uh, photos and uh, images are driving um, connection. And again, we can go all off in that tangent if we want to. But right now, the written word really is in a monetization tactic in the sense that like, you know, the Kardashians aren't making money from posting tweets in to a large extent. I mean, most of their money is coming from video. Most of their money is coming from commerce. So, um, yeah, I, I think you would just have to look at, OK, what are the tactics that you're providing influencers if you're going to go down that rabbit hole? Mm. All right. I've got one more question for you. And then I'm going to throw over to you, Tom. So, 
as somebody who works in the, in, the, in the media space, which is what an interesting space at the moment with this great diversion uh, or dispersion rather, um, what do you think of Twitter? All right, let, let me rephrase this. So if yeah. AT, AT&T owns Time Warner, owns a bunch of digital or uh, media properties, for me, I think CNN is probably the strongest. It's the cash cow, cow of, of news um, in terms of their portfolio, obviously HBO Max is, is a phenomenal brand with you know incredible equity. Um, what do you think of Twitter and/or another um, kind of social media uh, platform acquiring a property like CNN? Do you think that's on the cards for twenty one? So it's interesting, right? Because Twitter has tried video before. Video hasn't necessarily been a vehicle for them to grow. If anything, it's been cutting uh, on-demand video and splicing it and distributing it on that platform that way. And I'd love to hear what Tom has had in his experience from a, a native social posting um, perspective. But, you know, I, I think Twitter is certainly known for live events, right? Everyone has their phone up and they're watching a game. When they're watching the election, they need to get real-time analysis from Nate Silver. We all get that. I don't know if I necessarily see the use case for having Twitter open full-time for something like a news service like a CNN. You know, one interesting proxy here is um, Cheddar was launched four or five years ago and it was using primary, primarily social uh, platforms for distribution and sure they got to scale, but they also, they, they also um, exited and, you know, they, they're widely distributed, but they, they did ultimately move to the traditional distribution model, right? I mean, Cheddar is now on all of the, the primary cable platforms. And so, sure, is there a way to grow using Twitter? Uh, potentially, but I don't think people necessarily go to that platform to consume long-form video. Um, and if anything, you know, I think that I haven't seen, and maybe, Tom, you've seen better um, data on this, but if I would have to guess, it's, uh, you know, t- Twitter's probably heavy desktop and mobile relative to um, kind of any other platform or desktop first, then mobile second. And um, desktop, I, I feel like a lot of people don't necessarily have it up for an extended period of time. Uh, so you're really looking at short watch times and maybe people cutting in and out. So it's hard for me to see Twitter owning kind of an individual video asset like that um, because I, I just, I don't think we've necessarily seen success like that before. Mm. Yeah. Interesting. I, I guess one of my one of one of my predictions would be that AT and T spins or divests um, either HBO and or CNN or one or the other, and I think the CNN as a news digital property is just such a uh, it's such a strong commodity. Fariza Kira, uh, Anderson Cooper, and I think it'll be interesting if if they go paid sub model, what the likes of Twitter be intra- uh, interested in that? Not even from the perspective of how they stream that content, but more even just ownership of the, of the property. So, well, so I, just to play devil's advocate there, I think if you're Twitter, you're saying, you know what, we already have Anderson Cooper on the platform. He has a Twitter handle, right? And I want to kick this over to Tom just to see what you've seen in the the digital video space as it relates to kind of Twitter specifically, but then also kind of how video consumption changes across platforms. If if you've seen anything interesting there. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's something I was going to jump on actually was just the point you made there. I think one of the things I've always tried to do both extreme and previously is understand the the kind of the user needs and why a user is potentially using or why a user is using a certain platform. So then from my side, it's 
understanding that user need, that user journey, but also that user desire is ultimately where you're seeing the best engagement, the best metrics off a certain platform. So the way I like to approach it is, and I kind of agree with you, for me, I don't see Twitter as a video platform. It's a, it's a, it's a spoken word platform. It's text, it's copy, and it's opinion. Incredibly polarizing at times, but also incredibly powerful. I think, you know, we've seen, yeah. you know, from the extreme side, we've seen TikTok this year for us blow up incredibly. I mean, that's not only sure. helping us to access a completely new and young user base, but it's also helping us to create new video assets off the back of that. So I think sort of taking a step back and looking more at video strategy, it's all about understanding not only what what audience you've got on each platform, what why they're there, but then also how are you best serving their needs? So for yeah. TikTok, it's understanding short form is why people are there. It's quick, engaging, you know, exciting content. You're going to YouTube for that more in-depth, longer aspect, you know, kind of content. I think it's without the, the core understanding of what the user is going to that platform for, you're always going to be slightly misaligned. So I, I have a follow-up question with that too, because, and we did not prep for this. So sorry to put you on the spot, but um, you know, the, the two platforms that are inherently considered the most polarizing are Twitter and Facebook, right? You just alluded to it. Um, and they're both inherently uh, spoken word, written word platforms, right? They've also been around the longest relative to an Instagram or a TikTok. So is polarization something that comes from the written word or do you think polarization comes from time? And as we're as all of these platforms age, they inherently get older. But do that. Does that mean that they also get more polarized? And again, we did not talk this question through. So sorry for putting you on the spot. But I think it's something that just occurred to me because it's, you know, as each of these platforms changes, um, as they mature and they're all exciting and they're all super young right off the bat, like TikTok you alluded to. And then at some point, you know, is, is it a nature of the medium or is it a nature of who's on the platform and ultimately more polarized figures through the day? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I think my, my understanding or my thinking behind it is, yeah, we see a lot of polarization on Facebook and Twitter. I think, as you said, those are two platforms that have been around for the longest. Therefore, the kind of user saturation, in my mind, is a lot higher. You're not getting as many people signing up to TikTok, although lockdown and COVID's probably changed that slightly. But ultimately, you're seeing you know, Twitter and Facebook being two of the real pioneers of the social media space. You're seeing... Yeah, I think what's fascinating is Twitter gives people more, essentially more slack to put out their own opinions without fear of reprisal. I think Facebook does that the same, but I think that's also just a problem of social media as a whole. It's it's people's ability to say stuff without the consequence. And I've, you know, read and heard some really interesting stuff around this. And I think bringing people into that digital realm takes away the consequence, which in a lot of real world situations would stop people from saying these things. But then at the same time, that can be seen as a good thing because you're seeing people truly speak their mind, whether it's a positive or a negative, but you're actually getting a more honest commentary from the general population. You know, on, on that note, I don't know, I don't know about you guys. So I, I'll be 35 in, in March. So um, my entryway or gateway to, to TikTok was this ocean spray uh, commercial that they did, which by the way, was absolutely amazing. So I, I hadn't, I hadn't used TikTok, hadn't even seen any videos until that. And 
And then I watched it and then I got stuck down this rabbit <laughs> hole. And I tell you what, it's the most addictive uh, thing I've ever done. Right. So it's, you know, a compilation right. of eight second videos, quick little videos, quick pops. And this whole thing of algorithm commerce, I think is going to be super interesting. And I guess, Tom, for, for you, um, like eight seconds is a very narrow window, right? And it'll be interesting to see what this does to, so my, my OD, uh, ADD is pretty bad as it is, but eight seconds and then multiple videos in eight seconds, it's going to be interesting to see what happens there. But Tom, for you, what, what, what do you think is, is, and obviously interestingly with the, the Trump kind of, um, getting involved in trying to broker a deal between TikTok and Oracle and Microsoft then backing out of the deal. Like, where do you see TikTok going for brands? Um, do you think they remain at eight seconds, which is extremely short form? Do you think they optimize? Like, where, where, where do you see that going? Another good question. Um, I think what's fascinating around TikTok is you're seeing a lot of brands utilize the platform and utilize it very well. I think what TikTok... And you know, credit to them on this. They're putting the focus back towards the individuals, the creators, the influencers, rather than the brands. So you're getting a much, yeah, I think you're getting a much more genuine platform of individuals rather than kind of very scripted, very fake, very set up situations. I think whilst Instagram is great for some of that stuff, I think we've all seen the kind of you know the influencer pranksters that you look at and you can see <laughs> through. I think what's interesting around TikTok is it's it's trying to push away from purely brand focused stuff. And, yeah, you know, don't yeah. Get me wrong. There's a lot of brand focused stuff on there. Me being one of them is extreme, but it's ultimately what I like is it's actually putting the control back into an individual's hands rather than kind of having these, you know, overly complicated brand and influencer deals that people are running. I think it's actually giving a lot more power to that individual user. So it's it's creating millions of content creators and you know publishers. And it's empowering those similar to what roblox is doing in the gaming space so you could ultimately on the platform have seven or eight million content producers versus on facebook and others you know some of the big advertisers uh you know pouring millions and millions of dollars into this thing that that's kind of what you're you're saying tom yeah yeah i think it's yeah i think what's you know what's interesting about tiktok is they've got they're coming up with new ways to drop in advertisements whether it's kind of on opening in between videos I think Facebook has increased the way that they're monetizing, but I think actually the way that TikTok are doing it has been a lot more, yeah, it's just been a lot more interesting and a lot more fitting with their general platform. Well, so Shane, you alluded to the rabbit hole, right? And it's easy to fall down and it's just video after video. It's bad. It's punishing, right? In a way, you're just like, oh my God, where'd the last 30 minutes go? But, um, you know, from a product perspective, or at least from like a the dynamic of, why that is it's it, it's probably because they diverge from the follower graph right like you don't you inherently follow certain accounts but the algorithm at least as i understand it in time i would love your perspective on this from the brand side is you know you're you're primarily surface kind of more trending content than even the amount of content that you follow and the inherent nature of the videos being super short I mean, you're you're obviously going to run across more stuff than just what you follow. So, um, Tom, does that make does is that a advantage for a brand that if you're kind of nascent in this space and you can kind of kind of have first mover advantage that hey, listen, if we if we 
own our voice and flood the space, there's a chance to gain a lot of um, a lot of momentum here and and kind of gain you know brand equity, brand love. One of the, just because one of the things that I always regret is not being on Twitter in 2007, and I would have 10,000 followers right now because. Back then, it was just, you know, people were following everyone and everyone, I feel like, who was on the platform that early has a million followers. Um, do, do you see a first mover advantage or kind of does the algorithm inherently push you away from or at least kind of keep you at arm's length of gaining a lot of momentum? So I think there's there's always that first mover advantage. You see it with every platform. We've benefited on that slightly. Um but I also feel like it's a lot to do with strategy, particularly around content strategy. It's about understanding as much of the algorithm as you can. I think yep. everyone ever fully understands an algorithm. That's almost half the fun of it. But yeah, it's about, <laughs> I mean, what's what interesting is is although TikTok is aimed at short form content, you know, six to ten seconds. Ultimately, you can you can put minute, two minute, five minute plus stuff on there. But it's the understanding of how that algorithm works that you're going to see the benefits from. So, you know, every video, every video completion gets 100%. Someone's watched that video twice, it's right. 100%. The higher that percentage is, the more that the algorithm is going to spread that video. So it's about trying to gain the system, but also do it in a way that's not completely obvious from a brand point of view. And it's just going to kind of put a bad taste in people's mouths. So I, I have a quick one on that. So... Um... I guess the social media, the whole, the, the whole ecosystem and the whole space, right? So that's, it's the new medium. And it's probably what TV was 40 years ago, 30 years ago. Um, I, I guess, right. So the thing that the platforms are built to create re-engagement, right? There's probably two ways to do that. Firstly is outrage. Secondly is hate. And what these platforms are, are geared to do is create those dopamine driven emotions or hits, right? So I guess, Tom, for you, and I know because the business you're in, it's a little bit different because it's a very, you've got a very core uh, community and base and very engaged. But do you find as a brand kind of owner and sponsor on these platforms that when you're competing against other folks in your space, you're having to create more, you know, outrageous stunts or like, outrageous things to do in order to generate some electricity and interest on, on the platforms? Or do you think it's, do you think it's like, it's pretty, you know, this thing will go away, meaning th this dopamine driven thing will go away because it'll soon be the new, you know, it's going to be the TV of, of 30 years ago. Like what, what, what are your thoughts there? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm probably slightly biased on this being from an extreme sports company where we're kind of all driven on that dopamine hit. But yeah, I mean, I think for us, it's, you know, we understand content is, is, you know, it's that old phrase that gets overquoted, but content is king. It's understanding a, a high adrenaline, exciting video for us. We know is going to drive engagement. We know it's going to drive excitement and we know it's going to ultimately drive those metrics. And I think it kind of comes down to kind of very much what we think of from our, from a company point of view is it's all about exciting, inspiring and entertaining. I think those are three kind of core principles that we try and use across the board from a brand point of view. So, I mean, it's tough. I think, yeah. you know, we, I think we mentioned the social dilemma before and, you know, we know that these platforms are being created yeah. from a UX and UI point of view that are addictive. And even the guys who are building these platforms themselves are falling down these rabbit holes. But, yeah. you know, yeah. that, that being said, it's, you know, exciting content is always going to be exciting content. Whether you hate it or love it, you're going to be watching it. Yeah, I um, 
what do you wh- where do you think Snapchat is going? And then secondly to that, uh, Twitch, this new Amazon platform. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, so I mean, Snapchat again is a really interesting one. One I the thing that I really like that they're doing at the moment is that kind of heavy AR and VR use. You're seeing a lot of playing around with that. I mean, we're seeing other platforms and brands obviously playing with it as well. But I think some of the stuff Snapchat are doing it is really interesting. I think the only question now is how widespread is that AR and VR adoption going to be? Um, and then Twitch again is yeah with the Amazon kind of connection there. It's yeah, Twitch is a fascinating one because they've created a really unique audience of very like-minded people. So ultimately, you know, they've created one of the largest ecosystems for highly engaged users, which is in many ways the advertiser's dream. Yeah. Right. I um I guess if you know, with Evan Spiegel, the CEO founder of Snapchat, if if, if Zuckerberg was to say to him, listen, let's let's go back to that deal that I that I offered you years ago. I wonder, do you think you take the de- take the deal, seeing seeing how things have panned out in this space, or maybe he's happy. Maybe it's the unicorn of uh, non Facebook platforms. You know, I I think that they're probably not only content but excited about what they're building because I don't think that they're you know, well, Tom just alluded to kind of the, the AR experience that they're building. I, I don't think that there is anyone else. And, you know, there are a couple of very young companies that are looking at AR shopping. But when you look at the graph of who their user is, a very young, um, a, a lot of engagement on that platform, um, a lot of consumption too. I, I mean, the, the discover section for them um, builds brands. You look at uh, something like Stay Tuned from NBC News, which was there very early on. They built a, a massive uh, following of, of primarily 18 to 24 year olds. Um, when you look at who's using that platform uh, and, and you look at kind of the graduation of that user base into a space where ultimately they're going to be spending uh, discretionary income, you know, that, that in five, 10 years time is um, potentially uh, a monetizable gold mine. Uh, so I think they're actually graduating their user base into consumers um, at the same time that the technology is kind of riding along parallel with it. And so you look three to five years out, and it's, it's probably not five years, it's probably closer to three years. Mm. And they've got a lot of 25 to 28 year olds on that platform. They're going to have AR AR shopping capabilities that are going to dwarf what everybody else is looking at. And they're going to be able to monetize a user base that nobody else has a stranglehold on. So I, I think they're extremely content with where they are. Um, the stock price has obviously had a great year as well. So I, I think that people are starting to recognize that the engagement on the platform and the value of that base is extremely high. Yeah. Yeah. So I guess in summary, and Tom, I, I love your two cents on this. Um, I'm going to give a couple of, a couple of my two cents on this or my thoughts on this. Um, do we think, so th- this thing isn't going anywhere. We know that, right? Um, firstly, I think the, uh, the DOJ, FTC are going to potentially spin one of the Facebook brands, whether it's WhatsApp or, or Instagram. We see the continued growth of TikTok um, probably remain in the eight second format. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what, happens Twitter and their subscription model and whether they do get into this media production space with CNN or, or something alike, although Witt disagrees with that. <laughs> um, I, I agree. I think the future Snapchat is super interesting with AR, VR, and 
and and using that to to drive that, that also that could almost be a almost like an e, a full e-commerce stack that platform yeah. right um i think what will be interesting is that you know the this the rise in these uh free speech social networks like parlor um particularly as we we've just finished one election cycle in the us the next one is obviously the midterms then we've got the the presidential in four years it'll be interesting to see what happens with that but i i think that you know it'll be interesting to see all these different uh moves and then obviously the last thing is is the cryptocurrency um you know uh rollout from facebook as, as they try and develop their their own uh you know i guess competitor to uh to amazon which is their their shopping cart so there's a i, I just think it's such an interesting space uh will it continue to create hate and distrust and divisiveness probably because that's that's what that's what it's built on is outrage and, and hate those emotional feelings so i don't know do you, do you guys disagree or, or agree with any of that or am i you know is there anything else you'd add to that just top down like where this thing is going yeah i think i definitely agree in the sense that most of the social media and marketing you hear about is something that's evoked emotion i think that's something that ultimately a lot of people aim to do some people get it very wrong some people get it very right and it's ultimately about just finding that balance really and i think you know what's in terms of the kind of social media landscape from my side i think we're seeing everyone doing a lot of the same what i think will be really interesting is when we're starting to see people really differentiate from their competitors and offer their users something that no one else ultimately can yeah and that's probably TikTok, right so as you said it's content owned empowering content producers million of them millions of them low buyers to entry uh and it's short form eight second video i just think it's genius it's the most addictive thing i've ever done so uh, <laughs> yeah so um this is amazing we probably didn't get to speak on 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 everything um but yeah i really appreciate your time guys i, I know we're at the 30 minutes here so um well i don't really have anything else to add if if, if no yeah. thank you tom for for hopping on and uh yeah this is been a blast to uh to talk through everything social with you well it's been an absolute pleasure guys and thank you both for the invite thank you for joining us today tom and thank you to our listeners we hope you enjoy this episode if you have any questions at all you can reach out to us personally on off the clock at tptdigital.com for more information on how you can grow your brand globally using social media head to our website tbtdigital.com thank you